Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I know, I know, this is supposed to be the break between seasons. You're not supposed to be hearing from me for a while, at least on the interview front. But I just don't know what to do with all this extra time. So, I'm back. At least for a one-off interview here. And my guest today is Sherry Chung, and this is actually an interview that Sherry and I had started scheduling back in probably mid-June. So that's why I still went through and released this, because it's been so long in the making. You might be familiar with some of Sherry's work on particularly TV shows. So she scored Riverdale, which I think has just ended maybe this past week. She scored Batwoman, and she actually worked on a number of superhero shows, particularly through her long-running collaboration with Blake Neely. And then she's recently done several projects, including Based on a True Story, Happiness for Beginners, and Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai. And that's one that we'll actually get into. Actually, we had planned on talking about all three, but got too caught up in the interview to get too much into any of them. And of course, she also scored the series Kung Fu. A lot of really good TV work under her belt. And you know, like I said, Sherry and I went into this intending to focus on some of her latest projects, but instead spent a lot of time talking about headier, more conceptual things. Now, of course, you can find out more about Sherry on her website, on her social media. You can do the same for me. And as much as I'd like to say that I'm back, I'm not really. There might be an occasional interview here and there. I'm not trying to do them actively right now, but sometimes something really interesting pops up, or I see something that intrigues me and want to chase it. But I think season four is still a couple months away. I'll probably really be thinking about it in earnest sometime maybe mid-late September. We'll see. Until then. Sit back, and I hope you enjoy. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? I've been great. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it it seems like you've been super busy, because I just checked on your Spotify, at least, and you've had, like, four releases come out in the last two months, maybe? And I know one of them was for Kung Fu Seasons 2 and 3, so obviously... I'm sure some of that music was written a while ago, but have you just been like working nonstop or have you finally had a chance to take a breath a little bit? Honestly, it was one of those situations that I felt like I was working so much, but nothing seemed, nothing was like coming out just yet, except for like the subsequent seasons of Kung Fu. So it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm working so hard, but no one really knows it <laughs> yet. And then all <laughs> that, everything comes out at the same time, just as I was finishing everything up. So yeah, so it was it was, it was was cool. I mean, the latest one I think that came out was Happiness for Beginners. Or, well, it was, yeah, just a, a, a film on Netflix. And I actually completed that film about a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. It was one of those where it's like, okay, we, we did it, and then we closed it out, and then we're done. And then and then even Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai, the, the first season, it's like that. That was actually also done about actually three years ago at this point. Um, <laughs> really? It, well, it rolled right into season two as well. So I've been quite busy, but it just takes a while for some of these things to come out and finish up. And then and, and then I'm sure some of your listeners know, it's, I mean, our industry's had quite a rocky, I mean, not even just the strikes that we're currently in now, but even just, you know, merger of Discovery and Warner Brothers and the selling of CW. I mean, there's just a bit a lot of change in our in our studios and our industry. And so a lot of honestly, I'm just 
grateful that my stuff didn't get canned <laughs> because a lot of projects really did. So yeah, I, I've been I've been quite busy. <laughs> and I don't I don't want to get us too much on, on a tangent, but like the the strikes obviously and like unionization questions have been a big topic. And I know that you're co-president of the Television Academy, so like I'm sure that's something that comes up quite often for you. I mean, what have you seen as far as the reaction or thoughts about that from the the composer side of things yeah so um so yeah i'm i'm a i'm, a, I'm one of the governors of the music the branch. governors yeah yeah of, of the music branch of the of the television academy yeah i think what a lot of people are doing is they're just sort of waiting and a lot of people that i've talked to composers studio executives they've all sort of likened this to when the pandemic first began and nobody knew what to expect this is obviously quite different you know obviously the, yeah. the tenor of our culture is not you know we're not in in a pandemic per se but they're sort of this holding pattern sort of everybody's waiting and i think i think just like the pandemic i think a lot of composers a lot of my peers and colleagues were just sort of holding our breath a little bit and kind of hunkering down for what could be a really really long period of, of no work and certainly for the writers they've already been not working for a long time and now of course the actors and stuff but you know a lot of us composers i'll speak for myself and say i've been fortunate to be able to finish a number of projects that were already passed where they were not allowed to to mm. to work. so i have been i have continued to work it's definitely slowed down a little bit which Personally, is a good thing for me, but I certainly don't wish that, you know, on our industry. Uh, yeah, but we're all, everyone's in a holding pattern, you know, just waiting and seeing. And I think some of those knock-on effects are not necessarily things that your average viewer or listener really thinks about. You know, they think, all right, first it was like the writers and that was it. You know, then the actors, of course, as well. But when a production shuts down, it affects everyone. And obviously composers are typically just on the post-production side of things, but... Absolutely. It's still a tight timeline. Yeah, but you know what? Even audiences are going to feel it. As audience members, we're all going to feel it. You know, maybe it might take a little bit of time because there are lots of things. I mean, you know, I actually have a show that I completed for NBC. It's called Found, and that hasn't come out yet. So it's probably slated to come out in the fall-ish. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. But the point is, is that it's, it's going to probably seem as though we're continuing to make, mm. like, products are continuing to happen when really a lot of it's just slated to come out later and it was already completed. You know, so I think that we won't, as audience members, won't really see, or we, we will start to see things probably around the fall or maybe even January when it's like, you know, projects that should have been greenlit and stayed greenlit and been ready for fall and spring releases aren't going to happen. And so we're all going to be kind of left with just a very different kind of programming, which will be interesting to see how it's received, <laughs> I think. Well, for that, if, if things do slow down, for someone like you, where I, I know that you know you have some solo albums, work with bands as well, does that kind of get more on your radar, knowing that film, TV, I guess, I don't know if documentaries would slow down as well, but film and TV, let's say, if that work's going to slow down. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, film and TV, if, if they slow down, you know, I mean, they're, they're already slowing down, but, you know, if, if I'm feeling it enough, 100%, I mean, there's definitely, as you just mentioned, uh, you know, songwriting has always been a big part of my musical endeavors. It's not become like a sort of active part of my career as of late. But to your point, it's like it's a great time as artists to kind of get to work on our projects that aren't work for hire. You know, mm -hmm. I love 
doing work for, for film and television, but to your point, it's like, it's a good time to go inward for the artist part of it instead of the, the business part of it. So yeah, I was certainly entertain that, you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess on that point, you know, you mentioned that that side of things isn't something that you've been doing as much recently. And I mean, it, you know, in one sense, it's not a surprise because like you can see the amount of big projects you're working on. But is that something that or is that like an endeavor or pursuit that's often in the back of your mind where you're like, God, you know, I, I really wish I had a, a couple weeks, you know, a, two years to sit down and explore some of the stuff? Totally. Like I, I get tinges all the time where I'm like, oh man, I really wish I could do more of the songwriting. And I can do it, you know, if I'm hired to do it along with like a score, that's a good outlet. But in terms of, you know, as we were just talking about, like sort of just like, just for me, it's like just my stuff. It's like, no one can tell me this isn't gonna, <laughs> isn't approved, you know, it's just me telling me that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always something that I've, it, it's something that I started, I mean, I'm, I'm a classically trained pianist, and then I, and I was also singing, and I would just, I would kind of use my voice and to write melodies, and then that kind of turned into, you know, songs, and you're playing, you know, so that, that kind of became my first creative outlet, you know, because I, I mean, that was like really young, so you can't really, at least for me, I'm not really doing film scoring when, when I'm in high school, <laughs> you know, or like grade school, it's like, it doesn't really work that way. But yeah, so it's kind of something that's like getting back to basics, getting back to roots and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I've always wanted to have more of a, a foot into that world. But it's one of those things where it's like, I think that once I realized that the film and television stuff was was taking off a bit more, I was really excited about that. And it's it's mm. it's difficult to put, as we all know, it's difficult to put 100% of your time into more than one thing at a time. So, you know, things like this, again, I, I don't think the strikes or I don't think a pandemic is something that any of us want. It's not good for everybody, probably good for nobody, but we have to make the best of things. And so I do think that there's a real opportunity, at least for me, to try to get more into that. But yeah, there's a lot of times I'm just like, oh, I wish I, wish I could have <laughs> more time to do that. You know? With that in mind, are there any moments in the the writing process where you have a, you know, a melody or an idea where you're like, God, I wish I could just keep that for myself? And I do. <laughs> <laughs> And I do. I'm like, that one's staying with me. We're going to put that right in my little pocket. I, I have I have on the phone, you have like voice memos. And I could scroll for a long time of just ideas. Somewhere in there are some golden nuggets that I, on a, on a rainy day or a day when I have time, it's like, let me just look at that idea and develop that idea a little bit. But yeah, I, there are times where I do. I'm just like, that, that one, I think I can expand upon it in a different way. And I kind of don't want to subject it to the job and the work kind of thing. So yeah, I'll totally keep it for myself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love how much you're mentioning voice memos because I was, I, I don't know if you've seen the film Tar. Not yet. Okay. Well, there's there's a song that the main character is writing throughout it. And the main melody for that is like a melody that the film's composer, Hilder Gutnardier, she initially just wrote it on a voice memo. And I love how prevalent that is but like also the idea of how like these ideas might not solely be striking you while you're at the piano writing i guess you could be in the car on a walk who knows where and you just pull your phone out and there you go it's so true there's there's been a number of ideas that i've if i've been starting a project or something and there's some sort of like section or scene that's just i just i just know i'm gonna chew on that for a while and so i skip it and i just and like I'll be just doing something, you know, getting ready to come into work or, as you said, you know, going grocery shopping or just driving in your car. And I'm like, ah, I got it. I got it. And it's the voice or I've got something, you know, it's some sort of like idea, like so something that, you know, there's at least enough of like I can sink my teeth into it. Like, OK, I can take that and run with it. It happens a lot. I think it's so great because 
you know, a long time ago when I didn't have voice memos or I didn't know smartphones or I didn't have one, you know, I would use a little voice recorder mm. with a little dictator thing, you know, and it's like, and I would use that. And I, and even before that, I mean, I think I, I didn't use it a lot, but I had one of those little ones that had a tiny little tape in there, tiny little cassette tape, those cute little things. But usually it was just like the, the digital like sort of voice recorder. And I would just sort of dictate ideas, especially during a time when I didn't, either if you're just away from your computer or away from your piano, or during a time when I didn't really know how to use, I didn't have the DAWs, I didn't have the software programs to like, you know, I didn't have all the computer software and the hardware to actually like lay down my ideas or I couldn't get to pencil paper fast enough. And it's just like our brains just think so much faster than like our hands can really work, I think, at least for me. So, you know, it was so great. It's so great to have those tools because you never know. It doesn't have to be all like stuffy and formal and like, yes, I'll sit down now and I will now write this piece of music at, you know, sometimes that's the job and that's what you do. But I think when real inspiration hits, it can kind of hit anywhere. So mm -hmm. I love those voice memos. <laughs> <laughs> On that topic, then, is there a a typical composing writing process that you go through? Or is it kind of all over the place when inspiration hits as well? Yeah, I think when I have the time, it's kind of all over the place when inspiration hits. But a lot of the time, there is no time or, or there, there's very little time. To be honest, I kind of lean more on what I call like the craft of it as opposed to the creativity of it. There's still obviously creativity involved, but the craft of it is sometimes like I got to get in and I got to like do this. And I have this number of minutes to write today within these couple of hours. And I just sit and I sit and like, that's my job. And it's like, I just go. I would say that fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, it's that has been my process lately where it's like, get in, sit down, do the work, just like do it. You know, it does not have to be the greatest idea ever it does have to be an idea that works you know it has to be an, an idea that I can run with and that's going to, to get the job done and so a lot of times I'm in that kind of like mode and then for some of the stuff where I have a little bit more time on or some of the stuff where I'll, I'll give myself some more time on or sort of take carve out more time I'll definitely do you know something that's a little bit more of a creative process I'll get up I'll walk around I'll hum in I'll you know really work and I'll go to the piano and like really kind of bang out something on that and really try to try to work with it that way. But otherwise, it's just like, um, it's get in there and just wrestle with that alligator <laughs> until, it's like, until it's like in there. <laughs> with like timing in mind, obviously most of the, the composers that I have on are, are primarily scoring for film. And I, you have a number of film credits, but like I, I think particularly right now, you're, you're doing so much TV work and are most known for that. So... Is there a real difference as far as the amount of time that you have to score for a TV show? And and also, does it depend on the release schedule? Because you, you have a, like a CW show that's releasing weekly, whereas like Gremlins, I think, did that all come out at once? It all came out at once, yeah. And, and it, it was kind of my one of my first forays into streaming because I've been, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, I've been so much more rooted in sort of network television. I, I put it in air quotes, but I guess I, guess I shouldn't because this network is still around. But, you know, ne network television where, as you said, it's airing every week. So the schedule is, it's not even just that it's unrelenting. It's its unforgiving and there's there's really no room for error. There's really no room for missing those deadlines. I mean, there's a certain charge I get out of it, but I think there's also, I've sort of built up this, I mean, it's become part of my craft, you know, where a lot of times when I do get either a film project or I get a project where there's just a lot of time, because I remember with Gremlins, when I started the process and working with them, they were so amazing. They were just, they were just so, okay, we have about four to six weeks between each episode. 
you know, and these are 20, 22 minute episodes. Now, granted, it's animation and granted it was a fully orchestral score. And that is for a lot of your listeners who do this, that can take a lot more time, especially when you're holding it live. You have to back up time for real score prep and then for the musicians and then this actual scoring and the recording and then the mixing and then all of that. So there's really, you know, you have to you do have to back up time for that. But they're like, is that, is that enough time? And I'm like, you know, usually <laughs> I'm getting a week to do twice that amount of music. And I'm like, yes, that is enough time. That is, I will, I will make it work. But kind of to your point, it, I kind of believe that as artists, at least, at least in this industry, at least for me, a project will take as long as I have. So if I have two weeks to complete it, I will get it done in two weeks. But if I'm given two months to do it, it'll take two months. You know, did it have to take two months? No, but I gave, I was given two months. It's going to take two months, you know? So it's, there's something about it for me that it's like, I need that deadline. And when I have it, if it's a two month deadline, you will have it in two months. If it's a two week deadline, you will have it in two weeks. Because to me, I'm so sort of trained on that's the job. Film is, as we know, it's its own different beast as well. My approach to scoring doesn't change, but the, the stamina is different. To me, it's like one is like several 5Ks within a marathon, like that's TV and it's like 5K, go fab 5K, you gotta do another 5K in rapid succession. That's a different kind of stamina than doing like one long marathon. With a movie, you know, sometimes you're given more time to do you know, I want to say less music than I'm given an episodic, but a lot of times there's more cooks in the kitchen. A lot of times they want you to go back. There's now there's different cuts of everything, you know, and now you have to kind of change things around. Sometimes you have differing opinions and so suddenly you have to make a completely like left turn and shift the entire thing or sometimes change direction. So it's a different kind of process, I think, on that side of it, not necessarily on my creative side, but certainly on like the production side of it. But it's, it's one of the reasons I like to do both, you know, and, and you're right. It's like I have I have a number of film credits, but episodic has just kind of been something that's sort of come to me enough that I'm like, oh, cool. That sounds fun. I'll just take that. That sounds fun, too. You know, I don't purposely gravitate towards one or the other. It's just kind of like I go where the interesting projects are. And so far, a lot of the interesting projects have been episodic. I guess. <laughs> I was reading recently that you getting on or getting at least like the, the chance to pitch for and demo for Kung Fu came from like because the showrunner was a writer on Blindspot, I think. Yeah. So it was just like that's just kind of the nature of it, which I, I suppose makes sense. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. And then, you know, it just so happened that I, I did another show for Peacock and the showrunner was actually married to the showrunner you know of a different show and i didn't even know it at the time you know and and i still actually incidentally had to demo for it but i was i think my name was even thrown into the ring my hat was even thrown into the ring just to get a chance at it because you know i knew this other person who knew that person and it was like good words so i think good products we get good products as well and people talk about in this industry like it's who you know and it is who you know doesn't have to be like an executive of a as a major thing who you know just has to be somebody who's doing something that wants to do something with you I think that that's really, that's really cool. So word of mouth gets around, you know, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> it gets around. And I think the other side of it is, you know, who you know, but like the reputation that you're creating, not just like making good music, but also you're talking about having these one week turnarounds and like having hit that every single week. And, you know, if you can do that reliably and get music of the showrunner likes, that's going to be a great reputation. If you can't do that, I imagine you're, it might not matter who you know, because people don't want to run that risk. It's very true. It's, it's a really good point, especially when you get into those weekly ones. I feel like a certain amount of experience helps you come with a certain amount of insurance. There's that track record of being successful. You know, but at the same time, it's like every product I've, I've been learning now is also very different. Now we get into the streaming, it's also very different. You have these really wildly truncated schedules that sometimes like, oh, hurry up and do it. Okay, now wait, everybody wait, everybody wait, because now we have to 
you know, now we're going to go back in for some changes. And it's like, okay, cool. You know, it's a really interesting thing. I think network television has really kind of prepared me for the different crazy plot twists of what the schedules can really be. And it's kind of exciting. I, I think it's actually unfortunate that I work better under pressure. I think <laughs> I think sometimes the heart, the more pressure that there is, sometimes I have done some of my best work. I don't want to say I do all my best work, but I would say that under pressure, I've done some of my, my best work. I'm just like, wow, that's it's good to know that about oneself, but it's also not necessary, I think, for success. I think there's a lot of ways to be successful. And to be honest, I'd like to have like a little bit less pressure. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it truly does amaze me whether it's the like music for episodic work that you're doing so fast or you hear stories of doing feature films done in five, seven days. Like I talked to Daniel Pemberton a couple months ago and it ended up being um, the upcoming film Ferrari. He couldn't say what it was at the time, but he finished doing Spider-Verse and was like, oh, I want something to take my mind off of things. So then he like scores this whole film in seven days. It's just wild. But yeah, I mean, I, to your point, I, I imagine there's something with that tight timeline and having no option that forces it. That said, you know, if there's directors or showrunners listening in, don't make that the norm. Yeah, right. I mean, there's there's a matter. Yes, I would say don't. I, I think the earlier. <laughs> no, no, really. You're curious. So sorry. I think the earlier you can bring in all of your talent. I would say composers are, are I, I think, we're not always considered the talent because the talent is like, you know, you're actors and that kind of thing. And I, But I feel like in terms of the, the earlier you can bring us in, I think it's the better all around because then we've got time and they've got time to sort of let us marinate, let you guys marinate in terms of, I, I, I say you, I say you as the filmmakers and, you know, showrunners. It's like give everybody some time to get used to sort of these ideas and figure them out. That said, when there's not time, there just isn't time. There, as you just were saying, like there's a, there's a, there's a lot to be said for going with a gut instinct, and I do that a lot. Like I've learned to trust my instincts. It's not to say that every first idea I have is the winner, but there's a lot to be said for just do it in spite of the fear. You just got to do it anyway. But I've definitely learned to read things quicker, to read a scene quicker. For some reason, this is making me think of this. I do kind of consider myself as a composer first. And then a film and television composer second. And I don't mean second is in a hierarchy. I'm saying, I think they're two different skill sets. Mm. I think film and TV composing is an additional skill set that is about working within parameters that are not your own, that, that you don't get to dictate. Um, you don't get to dictate the, the schedule, the post-production schedule, or dictate what's approved and what's not. You don't get to dictate budget. You don't get to dictate when you want to write something, when you're feeling it in the moment, when you're not feeling it, you got to output, you know? And there's a lot of diplomacy involved. There's a lot of politics involved. I don't mean to be like negative about it. I just think it's because of that, you're, you are being creative in parameters that you don't get to control. And I think that's a very different environment than solely saying, I'm a composer. I write music. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's a completely different, um, there's, there's just an added layer about this that I'm like, oh, I kind of, I kind of get off on that. Like, I, I kind of like, I kind of like get <laughs> stuff by it. I'm like, oh, that's like, it's really fun. Do you think adding those extra parameters or layers affects people's perception of the music that's being made for film and TV? Yeah, I, I think as audience members, I'm not really sure as, as like a pure audience member, because I don't think I can be anymore, you know what I'm saying? But I'll say as a composer who becomes an audience member just to someone else's work and to, to a different a film or a movie or a show, I am definitely less judgmental or less, I don't want to say opinionated, how about this? When I hear someone else's score, and if I think, wow, I think I would have done something different, that's just an observation for myself. That's just like an exercise for myself. 
I tend to not judge too harshly other people's work because I know how the sausage is made. Like I know how difficult the job is. And in, even if I don't know what they went through, I know enough about the business to know that I don't know what they went through. And they could have gone through anything from just hand us a score and we'll love everything you do to really ripping a score apart. And even to a point where maybe they've delivered one type of score and then what got into the movie was a completely different thing under that was not under their control. So I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but that's something that when I listen to other people's scores, I'm like, within the work, within the work, mm -hmm. I tend to not, of course I have an opinion because we all get to have an opinion, sure. but I don't want to judge too harshly because I'm like, ooh, I, I'm, I bet that job was tough, you know, kind of thing. What's interesting too is I do think that because music in general for everybody is so readily available. Like you turn on any device, anything with a screen that creates sound and it's going to be music at some point. Whether it's a podcast that just starts off with music, a commercial, all the way down to the to your programs, to, to video games, to anything. Music is so readily available that I do think sometimes we as a culture and then narrowing it down to, our, to the industry, there's this sort of desensitization to the fact that this doesn't live on shelves you know it doesn't live right here it's like oh create me a score like that you know it doesn't live there it lives here it has to be created it has to be curated and, and birthed and thought about and collaborated so I do think that for any filmmakers you know people out there listening just kind of be aware of that which is why I say bring us in as early as you can because we're not just sitting here thinking ah yes pluck that brilliant idea and pluck this one and go it's a beautiful swan doesn't sit here living on these shelves and you can't just turn the radio and you receive that music you know it's not like that it's like oh i'm gonna give you a film give me back a score this isn't a dial on your radio kind of thing so anyway i just say that like there is i think a a perception in general because everyone gets to have an opinion of music it's so easy to say i don't like that that's not very good you know <laughs> or or the or oh wow i love that that's so great you know it's an interesting process um i think part of the the craft of film and TV composing is taking all that into consideration and being like, oh, sometimes they just, they're just not really aware that this takes a minute. There's that kind of process too. It's funny you talking about how like ubiquitous music is. I test drove a, a new car like two weekends ago and this new model, when you open the door and sit down, it plays a two second motif every time, which is like just wild how it's everywhere now. Yeah. My washing machine. Really? It's a little song. <laughs> It sings me a little song and tells me, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. You know, I mean, it's, you're right. It's everywhere. That's crazy. You know, now I want to see if I can get an appliance composer on at some point. Right? <laughs> I get, you're actually really interested in <laughs> But I totally agree. You know, it's, it's one thing to watch a film or a show and hear music and go like, wow, I love that. But when you hear something you don't like, it's easy to make that snap judgment, but to take a step back and be like, you have no idea what the process was. Maybe the the director, the showrunner said like, this is the temp. You're going to get as close to it as possible without us getting sued. Or a score was submitted and like Ridley Scott is someone that's been famous for this. He gets a score and then he just like chops it up and throws it together however he wants. So that's where... I often keep my more negative opinions to myself because yeah. I have no clue what went on either. It's true. For any filmmakers listening out there, try not to do that. <laughs> well, and, I, and the, reason I, the reason I say that is because I do think that the craft and skill and profession of film scoring, and not everybody has to go to school for this. I actually did. But not, not every person, not every successful film composer has or needs to. But it is a profession. It is something that, like, I'm not just creating music for a vibe and a tone. Mm -hmm. I'm watching your picture. 
I'm listening to what you said you wanted to feel. And also I'm crafting something for you and for that picture that could never be crafted for anything else. That isn't to say that filmmakers don't have great ideas. I get, I, I love a good note. I love when a filmmaker says, hey, I hear you playing this part of it, but I actually don't want to play any of that. I want to play something we're not seeing, that we're not feeling. Like, oh, that's amazing. I would never have thought of that. That's, that's incredible. So in any case, I think the more you can communicate and trust in, in the same way that when you get on set, you're not the lighting guy's job. You're not going to excuse me, I'm sorry, can you get out of the way? I'm going to do this. And you're not going to do your first AD's job and you're not going to do your costumer's job. You know what I'm saying? You you hired a professional who went to school or at least has been trained in some way to do their job. And and I think the best thing you can do, this is going to sound really arrogant of me. I will, bring <laughs> back to my, I will bring this back to myself and say what I try and do as a leader of my team is I try and hire the best people who do that job and I let them do their job and I don't worry about it. And it's funny because I've had, I've had like, you know, my, my orchestrator or even my assistants that are prepping a lot of things for me and will say, gosh, Sherry, whenever we go to, whenever we do a downbeat or whenever we start, we go to a recording session, the first time somebody hits record where everyone like holds their breath, they're like, oh gosh, did I, did I mess up on this? Did I did? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't worry at all. I don't worry at all because you're worried because, you know what I'm saying? Because, because you guys are concerned with your job, which means I know that, that you nailed it, you know, that you slayed it because, and that way, when I get to a scoring stage, I know that I hired the best people that I knew of who could do their job. And I know that they did it and I trusted them to do it. And so I don't have to worry about it. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't a ton of communication and collaboration and guidance along the way. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, that's where I think if you're a filmmaker, like that's where I think when you trust your actors to do like, you know what? I wrote the lines for you. Or I'm giving you the lines. I'm giving you direction. Give us direction just like that. Give us direction just like that. And we'll give you, we'll give you the best that we can do will give you the best that, that we've been trained to do, you know? And I think that that's just like, that's a really great way to use your composer um, and use the music, basically. You brought us under an interesting line or topic that like, I, I don't think really gets covered as much. So one aspect of that is for you, like, what makes a good note versus a note where you you go, Wait, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good question. Some of the best notes that I have gotten that I'm like, oh, wow, cool. I think I think I know what to do with that. I have two kinds of my opinion. One where it's like, you're you're showing me something that I actually wouldn't have known about. Could be something as like, you know what? We, we didn't really get the take that we wanted. Like we didn't really get the performance that we needed. And so I actually really wanted this to be funnier. And there is some funny to it, but is there any way that you can sort of lead us and steer us a little bit more in that direction? And it's like, okay, cool. I wouldn't have known that. That's good to know. There's There's that kind of a note. And that's a little bit more like a technical note, I would say. Some of the best notes I've gotten were the ones that talked to me about feeling and about when I watch the scene and listen to your score, I'm feeling or how I'm not feeling enough tenseness. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm basically the ones that were like, I think you would talk to like this the way you would say to an actor. Instead of saying, I really want the notes to go up here. Like that doesn't mean anything to me. What is notes going up? I mean, I know what notes going up. I know what an ascending musical line is. But if you don't compose music, you probably don't understand what, what, what does an ascending musical line mean to you? You know, oh, well, I want it to feel more triumphant. Ah, okay. I understand that. I understand triumphant. And now instead of campering me in, instead of like saying, hey, I let me chain your hand here. And you, only, you know what I'm saying? And like, you can only go this far or this far. Oh, you want to feel triumphant. Oh, okay, cool. Let me give you triumphant. And I'll figure out the best way to give you what I believe it's going to help us feel more triumphant. And that could be, in fact, an ascending musical line. Or that could be an octave jump. Or that could be an interval of a fifth, you know, a very dominant thing. Which, and again, and if you're listeners of composers, they understand what I'm saying. But if you're not a composer, you have no idea what I'm saying. So, so tell me triumphant. 
and I'll figure out what is going to give you triumphant. And then you can tell me, did you feel that triumphant or did you not? And if you didn't, then I go back and I figure it out again. I guess I'm saying great notes are ones that don't use any music at all. You can if you want to. But if you don't, if you don't feel like you have a musical vocabulary, great, even better. You don't have to worry about that. I know the musical vocabulary, but my job is to know my vocabulary. Your job is to know your vocabulary and we will meet in the middle and it's going to be awesome. And we'll just keep talking and figuring out. And that's why I love working with the same people. And I think that's why a lot of filmmakers hopefully also love working with their composer too. Like, and if it's, hopefully if it's me, that's great. And they come back. Just as a side note, there's even jobs where I've gone for and I didn't get it. And I hear that they ended up kind of going back to the person that they'd worked with before. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I love that. I love loyalty. That's awesome. I don't want to compete with that. You guys have that rapport. More power to you. You know, everyone's coming with how they know how to speak and how they know how to communicate. We will meet somewhere in the middle because that's also part of my job. Part of my job as the composer is to understand music and understand drama and understand storytelling and understand how filmmakers are working in as much as I can because I don't do what they do. And that's kind of what I mean by this is entirely separate skill set than just writing music. You know, writing music is like, hopefully I'm coming with that, at least that. But then you add into that, it's like, you know, and getting those notes are really helpful. The ones where you're talking about feeling, about emotion, about storyline, unless you really do know music, you know, try not to play music for me either. So <laughs> that's not fair. I, I That's not fair. In fact, a really good process that I had recently was uh, someone kept listening back to temp and, and it was it was getting a little a little triggering, you know, when someone says, okay, let me just let me listen to the temp again. Let's listen to yours again. Let me listen to temp again. That's a very nerve wracking process. But what actually was good that came out of that process was that that filmmaker, they, they weren't trying to get me to do the temp. They were like, I want to listen to the temp because I want to see that there's something in the temp that is making me or, or I'm feeling a certain way when I listen to the temp. I don't know what it is. Could it be this sound or that sound? I don't know what it is. And I'm not asking you to do that. I just want to feel that way. Hmm. And that was their way of communicating. And it was tricky because it brought an added layer for me. I had to like listen to this temp and listen to what this other person had done, which is totally fine. I listened for that sound and go, okay, well, how do I find a sound that can do the same job but isn't that sound? Because obviously I don't do that. I don't copy temp. I don't plagiarize another person's work. And also I don't want to have that filmmaker you know, have an emotion, too much of an emotional attachment to someone else's work. I want them to have an emotional attachment to what we're creating and not what, not just what another person created, but like a different feeling. It's like, oh my gosh, I love the score to Titanic. I really want that score. No, you don't. No, you don't. That was your journey when you watched that movie. You want other people to have a different journey, but one that is maybe as impactful as Titanic was to you kind of thing. So I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's an interesting thing, but I, I always use wild hints, but to bring it back, those, those, are, the, those, are, those are the best things. There you go. I love it because all these different situations or examples seem to, at the end, coalesce into the filmmaker, showrunner, whomever, like wanting to feel something. And maybe it's not in their mind or, you know, they can't exactly say what it is or what the feeling is or why, but being able to distill that and then figure out, okay, now how do I do that? And it's a hard job for them. I get it. Because I, I feel like if, in my experience, filmmakers who go to film school, maybe it's happening a little bit more and more, but there's not a whole lot of part of their curriculum that deals with how to work with a composer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a part of their curriculum that deals with how to license music, you know, and the legal side of that, the legalese side. And so you, that's where you get into music supervisors. But I don't think there's a lot that teaches them how to how to work with composers. And, and so I think it can be for some, it can be sort of like this, you know, nebulous and sometimes really intimidating part of the process because 
They all know how to talk to actors. They all know how to speak to their crew. They all know how to, honestly, when I go to sets, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm like, this is a lot of people. And, you know, and I'm really impressed by the filmmakers and the directors. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you know all this jargon and this? How do you guys know how to like cue that and tell that person? Because there's a million people. It's this whole circus and they're like leading the whole thing. But I know my circus. I don't know their circus. You know, and I, I feel like when they're stepping in out of that ring or out of that circus, if you will, and coming into my circus, I get how it can be really intimidating. And I guess my whole thing would be like, don't worry about it. Talk your words. Talk your terms, you know, and I'll, I'll figure it out. But yeah, interesting process. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I do want to jump on to some questions on Gremlins in particular in a minute. But there was one other thing you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, and it's something that I've had in the back of my mind. You had been mentioning about director, showrunner, filmmaker, loyalty to composers, and you see tons of examples of those long-running relationships. But do you ever like feel any, I don't want to say betrayal because that sounds like exaggerated, but do you ever have any reaction if you have worked with someone and their next project comes up and they go with a different composer instead? Yeah, it stings. Sucks. <laughs> it stinks. I mean, the, I think the blow can be lessened and softened a little bit if maybe there was a conversation, which they're not obligated to do. I mean, and that's and I think that's such a hard, difficult part about about the art and the commerce, you know, of this all, like the creativity and the commerce of it, and just the, the, your match made in hell almost because you, you give so much. Everybody gives so much. Everyone is doing. It's not just the composers. It's, it's everyone. The filmmakers too. So when it feels like it was a good collaboration and they don't come back it's confusing it's really confusing and then confusion can without with unanswered questions can lead to hurt and feelings being hurt and then you can if you go too far into it then you you start to question your self-worth and you start to and it's just like dating you know it's like i don't get it we had a really good date <laughs> for seven years <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> you don't come back what is that but at the same time it's a service industry it's a job and no one's really under any obligation to say, listen, I just I just like to work with somebody else. And I just want to experience a new relationship. I don't know. It's just like dating. <laughs> yeah, I do have an or I do have a reaction. But but I will say this. I think that just like everything, any creative, like you just you just have to make sure you don't spiral too far. Make sure you don't spiral too far because sometimes you're never gonna know the reason why. And you just you just kinda have to like make sure that like, you know what, I did a good job. I rocked that project. I did a good job. I feel good about about how how it went down. And if they don't want to work together again, maybe then maybe that's best not to. And then I think on the flip side, if you have an idea, maybe why they didn't come back to you. Maybe if you feel like I made a mistake, maybe I came off too aggressive. Maybe I was too meek. I don't know. I do think there's always a time that we should like go inward a little bit and see mm -hmm. if there's and we can learn from it. Don't let it kill you. And by the way, I have to take my own advice on this too because I'm totally guilty of, of spiraling and thinking, wow, they didn't come back to me. So my self-worth, my worth as a composer is like, you know, wah, wah, and my, my self, which means my self-worth is completely gone and out the door. So it's tricky. It's tricky. But service industry, it's the job. <laughs> See, I, I, I appreciate that view because I've always thought like, how could you not just feel bitter about it? But yeah, it is a job that that happens. And it striking that balance between reflection on a, what could I have done different or what should I do different in the future, but also not dwelling on it has to be tough. Yes, it's really hard. But you know what? I, I think about it for myself. I mean, I, I also run a team. You know, I, I'm also in a position where if I do have help with additional writing, if I don't do that for every single project. But if there is a project where I'm like, oh, you know, I think I do need a little help. The schedule's a little bit tr too truncated. 
I think I'm going to, you know, get some, and I am leading that team and I am giving them, you know, another composer notes and I'm saying, well, let's, I think we need to go this way. And I, and I am vetting it. And sometimes I've, I've been situations where I have, I have not brought back that composer, that additional writer on something. And sometimes they ask me why, and I can decide for myself whether I want to say something. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's just casting. Sometimes it's casting. Sometimes many composers can write in many different styles. I feel like I'm a composer that can write in many different styles, but there's probably some sort of genre where maybe I'm not best at, you know, or, or something. So it's like if that showrunner is going on and they're making something that's completely out of left field, it hasn't happened yet. But if they came to me and if it was something like, gosh, you know what, I got to be honest, I don't know if I do that kind of music. It hasn't happened yet. But if, if I really felt that way, I might be like, listen, I got to be honest, I really want to work with you what I want. I want you to come back to me for everything else. But this is just one thing that I don't know that you know, I'm going to be the best fit for you. But sometimes there, there is that. And I think about that with like, if I want to work with somebody else again, who, who's like on my team. And sometimes I'm just like, you know what, that project closed out and I'm going to close out that project and that's going to be a closed transaction. And I'm probably not going to call that person back. Maybe, maybe it just, this wasn't the right fit. You know, just wasn't the right fit. Great composer, fantastic composers uh, or fantastic orchestrators or fantastic whatever it was that I hired them for. But it just, we all have jobs to do. Those filmmakers, they have something that they have to deliver as well. And in the end, it's like we're all putting so much time and making so much sacrifices that when you're in the trenches, if it's not all working like clockwork, sometimes you have to trim the fat, I guess, a little bit and just like create a better environment too. So anyway, it's all kinds of reasons. But no, I don't get better about it. I just um, I just get even. Wait, how does the word know? <laughs> what is it saying? I don't get mad. I get even. No, I don't. I don't. It's just the nature of it. I see. I see. I mean, it makes sense. And I'm, I'm going to do a, a super forced transition. You mentioned composing in a number of different styles. Two scores that have a ton of different stylistic elements are Jerry Goldsmith's scores for Gremlins 1 and 2. So when you're coming in doing Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai, obviously there are some of those elements of his prior music in there, but like you're also coming in doing something new. Like it's a, a prequel series set 60 years beforehand one like was there a pressure of those very well acclaimed scores looming over it and how did you approach it in creating something new and adding your own unique distinct new themes to this score uh well i appreciate the question because even the question like the question itself is so complimentary i'm hoping that it became unique and it was certainly effective i'm hoping those things too this to me is one of those dream jobs and any composers listening out there, I think, would, would understand what, at least what I mean when I, when I say dream job. It's like, there's one of those where it's like, you're given the time to do it. You're given the creative space. You're given the creative runway to do it. They said exactly what your question was. They said, we want to pay homage to the original films, even to Jerry's score. But we also are, as a show, we're creating something of our own. So we want the score to also create something of its own. So don't feel you're beholden to any one thing. I asked them, I was like, do we want to do the 80s approach, an 80s synth approach? And I can freely admit this now. I'm not sure that I would have been the best at doing an 80s synth type of, like what Jerry did for the first one. The second one's a bit more orchestral, a lot more orchestral. But his first one is also orchestral. But I mean, I wouldn't have turned down the job, but it would have been, it would have been a struggle for me. I would have had to really done some research and, and really, you know, just, I don't know, just, just tried a different approach on something. So again, it was, it was like I was given that runway. The two themes that that I use of Jerry's were the Gremlins rag, and that's the found in the, in the opening credits and the end credits. And I just did an arrangement, total like total arrangement, not not mine at all, you know, total arrangement of Jerry Goldsmith's Gremlins rag theme, and then Gizmo's lullaby. 
which the actors are often singing on screen. So pretty much when the actors are singing on screen, the score is sort of accompanying it. I, I think I use case mostly a little bit here and there, peppered here and there, but it was mostly just all new themes, certainly for the gremlins themselves, um, new themes for the characters, you know, and for their, their journey and their friendship and the family and then the Valley of Jade and Riley Green. And, you know, I mean, so all those were, were new themes and were also new characters. So that, so in some ways it was like, there's only songs I can pull from Jerry's Goldsmith score because these are, these are new characters. So it was a dream job in that way because it was like, the show I think is so, so good. I think the writing is amazing. The acting is amazing. And the animation is so inspiring and color and, and the fact that they go dark. The two biggest musical directions that I got one was the time and the place. They, it was 1920 Shanghai. And I really wanted to lean into Chinese music. Some of it was diegetic, so it was coming from the screen. It was like some circus stuff and some festival types of things. And, so, and even in the tea house, it's like they wanted that that Chinese like music type, type of thing. So there was a lot of that. They're like, don't shy away from it. But even in the score with the Valley of Jade, it had much more of an Asian flair to it, a Chinese flair to it. And that was really all for the reason of putting us in that time, putting us in that place. You know, it was refreshing to not say, well, we want to do it. We want to do Chinese, but we want to do it like in a modern sort of Western approach. You know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Because some stories, some, some projects I've worked on really call for that. But this one didn't. This one was just like, no, we want to lean right into it. We want the Chinese percussion. We want, um, I use an erhu. You know, we want Chinese instruments. We want that, you know, Chinese flutes, all those types of things. But the rest of the score is also predominantly sort of more of our rooted in Western you know, harmonizations of orchestral music. I felt like that was going to be the most supportive dramatically. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that they really told me in, in terms of direction was lean into the emotion. Not be afraid to lean into the story and the emotion of what the characters are feeling, which I at the time took to think, oh, lean into the heartfelt moments and really make them cry. And then when it came down to the, the scary stuff, I even said at one point, do you want me to like turn back a little bit? Like that seems like a lot. Like you see the claw coming down. You don't see the strike happen, but you see arms and legs flailing after and you know that death has occurred, you know? And it was like, wow, there is a really lean to this. And like, no, lean into all the emotions. Mm-hmm. So the fear and the adventure and the frustrations and the sadness and, you know, Sam's journey of like what's right and what's wrong. I mean, there's there's even like psychological torture in there with Riley Green and Sam. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty dark, um, which I think is very much the Amblin way. So yeah, total dream job. That's awesome. And well, it, I, I will push back and say hearing an 80s synth slash more traditional Chinese instrument score, like I would have been up for hearing that because that sounds just like a, a wildly interesting combination. No, no, no. I mean, honestly, had had that been the job, I would have like gone gone into it. Because <laughs> they gave me the option. I was like, I'm going to try this over here. But ha- but had that been the job, I agree. Like that might have been kind of cool. It was certainly it was certainly have been an awesome creative challenge that I would have gone head first for whatever it is, I would have gone. I would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Sherry, I realize we've like already hit an hour, and I managed to I managed to fit in you know one question about the show, but oh, uh, I... you you were giving me too many good nuggets about all these other things instead. Great chatting with you. Highly recommend checking out all the things that you've been scoring lately, because like you mentioned before, it hits a really broad sonic palette, stylistic palette, and it's like really cool to kind of hear all these back to back, basically. Thanks again. Great chatting with you. Cool. Thanks so much, Nick. I really appreciate it.